in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, O oh my Jesus, forgive us of our sins, save us from the fires of hell, and lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. St. Dominic Guzman, pray for us. Venerable Father Augustus Tolton, pray for us. St. Louis of France, pray for us. Whose feast day it is today, pray for us. The fact that Mayor Lori Lightfoot, a, a non-Catholic pro-board politician in the same gender civil marriage would present herself for a Holy Communion at the funeral of Catholic police officer Ella French is, is not a isolated event. And we should not ever think it is, right? Um, we should not dismiss it as some sort of accident or mistake that the Chicago police chaplain father, Dan Brandt, so sincerely apologized for. According to Father Dan, moments before the communion rite, Blaise Supich, Cardinal Blaise Supich, approached him and asked him to stand in for him. Not having slept much, Father Dan said his wits were not about himself when Mayor Lori Lightfoot was the first person to present themselves for Holy Communion. As soon as he placed the consecrated host in her hand, he was like, oh. And, of course, it was too late at that point. And he said he was like, oh, dear God, have mercy. Which is not the reaction Jesus had when he dipped the morsel and placed it in the hand of Judas, but, oh, dear God, have mercy, is about the right reaction to participating in sacrilege. All right. Um, again, the profuse apology from Father Dan Brand aside, it would be helpful, I think, to explore why it is that someone like Lori Lightfoot who is a founding trustee of a Crystal Ray Jesuit high school and has been to enough Catholic masses and has known enough Catholics to know that the Catholic church has closed communion reserved for Catholics, except in the strict instances of imminent death of a person who professes the faith and desires to receive. Mayor Lightfoot also knows that she lives a type of life that is far outside of what the Catholic church believes on the sanctity of life and that her civil marriage is an abomination in the eyes of the church. Even if she were a Catholic, she'd be excommunicated and unworthy to receive communion. But Mayor Lori Lightfoot is not stupid. Her, her public relations team had, they, they certainly made some advanced calls to the church to inquire about her seating and whether she should approach for Holy communion or remain seated. To which it appears that someone at the chancery told her she would not be denied Holy Communion. For his part, Blaise Cardinal Supich is not stupid either. It's reasonable to believe that he was aware, fully aware, that Mayor Lori Lightfoot's people um, had called and that she would approach for a communion. And for reasons known to him, he removed himself and did not, um, did not even direct father Dan Brandt about what to do if the mayor presented herself for scandal and sacrilege. Now, some of what I'm saying about who knew what and when they knew it is mere conjecture, of course, but reasonable conjecture based upon the evidence and just basic common sense. Again, 
don't want to beat Father Dan up any more than he seems to be beating himself up already about this scandal. And no need to reiterate at this moment how Blaze Cardinal Supich, America's Pope, works overtime to spit on Christ and his church. The works of America's Pope, America's Pope against Christ and his church are, are well known. On the contrary, I would like to opine about the act itself. Of what does it say that someone like Mayor Lori Lightfoot would dare to present themselves for Holy Communion? I believe it says a great deal about the death of Catholic culture in many parts of the world today. Mainstream Catholic culture is so dead in places like the, the Chancery in Chicago that we, we can just start calling it the zombie Catholic Church. The zombie Catholic Church. And sleepy Father Dan Brandt is the epitome and a poster boy for the culture. So let's talk about that. And in the second half of the show, our favorite finance advisor, Kevin Pilon from Thrivent, will be on answering your questions about finance. But first, let me tell you how happy I am that you tuned in this afternoon. And I pray that you know that Jesus truly does love you, that he is truly there for you, and that he wants you to invite him into every aspect of your life, especially in those, those parts of your life where you don't think you need him. Right? And I saw a conversation on the Twitter earlier. <clears throat> a guy was talking about um, you know, struggling with sin and temptation. And I was thinking about that. I think a lot of people, I, I don't think... You know, if holiness was easy, everyone would be saints, right? I think I think freedom and choice and the longer you in in temptation, the easier it is to fall into temptation again. And I, I don't want to make it easy, sound easy. Um prayer, um appealing to the Blessed Mother Mary, um, are are some keys that we need to always um have in our arsenal, some weapons we have in our arsenal. But also I like to say that resisting sin and temptation is easy as having one adult in a room, you, who says no, right? When you're, when you're feeling tempted about something, just say no, right? That's what adults do. So there has to be an adult in a room that says no to temptation, right? And yes to virtue. I, I think it's really simple as that. Not to make it sound simple and easy, but um, I, I think audibly saying out loud, no, no, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to think that. Be the adult in the room, and I think that helps. Right. Now, um, my producer, Sissel, she's done a wonderful job. Um, she's the one that makes all the magic happen. Um, she is the producer of this show, I go out of Lupe Radio Network. And she you can also see her at Bike to the Father, which airs Friday afternoons. Dave Palmer, the general manager of the Dallas-Fort Worth station, he hosts that show, and it's a really good show, so tune in. And if you want to call in upon on this show, Voicing Truth and Reason, please call in when Kevin Pilon is here. You can call in at 877-757-9424, and Cecil will get you on. And make sure you start every day listening to the Catholic Drive Time Show with Joe McClain and Adrian Francesca. And broadcasting on the Guadalupe Radio Network starting at 6 a.m. Central Time. This is the David L. Gray Show. Voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. 
L. Lucy Marion, she chimed in on the YouTube um, channel chat. She said, I do not believe for one minute that, that for one minute about Father Dan Brantz, about how he was so profusely apologetic. He seems to have happy to have gave her the communion. Yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to really cast a lot of judgment there. You know, maybe maybe not. I hope not. I hope he's sincere that he wouldn't just lie about this. But um, the whole thing does smell really fishy. I think more so on a Cardinal's part um, than, than Father Dan. So, but um, we'll see how that whole thing plays out. Also, mark your calendar for September 10th. Father James Altman, Jason Jones, Jesse Romero, and myself will be, will be gathering outside the former mansion of the Archdiocese of Chicago um, that overlooks Lincoln Park. And we're going to be there demanding with a crowd of people reparations for council priests. Council priests, I don't know if you ever heard of them. Council priests are priests who have committed the grave sin of being traditional and orthodox and have thereby had their faculties removed or and or have been kicked out of the rectory by who Father James Allman has called little tyrants and mitres. Well, I think it's a funny thing to call bishops. Um, and Father John Lovell, who is the co-founder of the lay-led nonprofit organization uh, Council Priests, will be, he'll be on the, the David O. Gray Show, Voicing Truth and Reason, next week, next Wednesday, to talk more about their mission and the rally in Chicago on September 10th. I had mentioned this Reparations Now rally on one of my social media platforms, and a gentleman replied that he was going there and he's excited about it. And he said he's going to be bringing some um, some donuts from Long's Bakery, and, which made my mouth very happy to hear. You know how much I love donuts. And let me tell you about Long's Bakery. Long's Bakery is in Indianapolis. It's on the corner of North Tremont Street and West 16th Street. I have that memorized, right? Um, it's in Indianapolis, Indiana, like I said. And it's a very special place in America. Now, the area itself, the neighborhood, is not a place that you venture to <laughs> on purpose unless you live there. And it's one of those places you want to make sure you left by the time the streetlights came on, as my mother used to say. But what has been going on in that bakery since about 1955 has been a wonderful thing, to say the least. And a tangible evidence of a healthy culture existing in that building. And I, I believe that a full lived, a full lived culture has five marks. Here they are. The first mark that a full lived culture has is that not well, it has its own traditions. That's number one. It has its own traditions. Two, it has a means to pass down those traditions from one generation to the next. Third, a lived culture um, uh, is visible. It, it has a visible community that outsiders can point to and say, oh, that that's their culture, right? Uh, fourth, a culture has its own language. This could be a unique language or, or dialect or of a language or just a unique way to speak about things in their tradition, a way um, they use words that other people use that means something else to them. Right? The fifth thing that a culture has is that it produces something. It has something that it exports and that other cultures desire to have. I would argue that it takes about 100 years for a full lived culture to develop where all five marks are evident and present. But it could be a shorter time for smaller groups like a local bakery, like Long's. And you know if 
you have uh, if your culture is healthy, if outsiders respect that culture, people respect Long's Bakery on any given day. You'd be there on North Tremont and, and um, 16th. And there's a line that stretches around the building and people waiting to get what that culture produces. Now, when it comes to Catholic culture, we have to wonder whether, whether it's healthy or not. We still have a culture because we still have the tradition. We still have the means to pass down that tradition, right? Most clearly through the sacraments. We still have the mark of a visible community, right? Maybe, right? That's one of the ones that I think is being lost. I think there was a time that everyone knew uh, 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 what the Catholic culture looked like. Hollywood understood it. The Catholic image of the traditional liturgy, the nuns and habits, right? These were iconic and unique images, but they're no longer there, right? I think we've had two generations now, two generations of people who have no idea that that's the Catholic culture. They have no um, things that they can really pinpoint and say, that's what Catholics do. We have two generations of those people. Uh, as far as the mark of having our own language, I, I think we still do, right? Perhaps not the Latin anymore, but yes, we have a unique way to speak about our tradition. We have strange terms like transubstantiation, uh, Eucharist, holy orders, canonization. We have weird phrases like on the path of sainthood and etc. But as far as the fifth mark goes, having something that we produce that other cultures desire, I don't think we have that anymore. So as Catholics, we no longer have a full culture, a full live culture. We're missing maybe at least one, maybe two marks. And what we have remained, what was left really, I think is really growing weaker by the day. And as a diminishing Catholic culture, we are becoming unhealthier by the day. One sign that your culture is unhealthy is that people and that people no longer desire it is when an outsider comes into your culture and spits on it right in front of your face and you do nothing about it. That's what Mayor Lori Lightfoot did. Knowing full well that a Catholic culture, that Catholics have a tradition, Catholics have a unique belief about the whole Eucharist. And for that reason, communion is closed for those for only and only for those in communion with the Catholic Church, right in front of the cardinal in all of the world, Mayor Lori Lightfoot gave disdain for what the tradition is and to the Catholic culture and spit on it. But why wouldn't she? Every Sunday, we allow a, a sitting president, senators, representatives, who every year pass legislation against life, life and marriage and, and against the Catholic Church itself. We allow them to spit on our tradition and our beliefs and our culture. Lori Lightfoot didn't do anything she hasn't seen Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi do. Certainly, there's a distinction here. They're baptized Catholics. And Lori, she's a baptized African Methodist Episcopal Zionist. But uh, since when do the small details like that matter? When sacrilege is being served up. I remember back in the 1980s and again back in the late 1990s, hip hop and then mainstream rap culture experienced what we, what we were thinking was like this existential crisis when white hip hop artists like the Beastie Boys and Third Base came on the scene in the 80s and then in the 90s with rapper Eminem who 
sold more records than anyone else. The thought was that hip hop and then later rap was music we thought belonged to the black culture, which has a couple of marks, I think, of a full live culture. But we thought with this brand of music that we thought it was the thing our culture produced. And we thought, man, it's being stolen now by another culture. The thing was that the thing that was lost on us was that Eminem was signed by Dr. Dre's Aftermath record label. And Dr. Dre himself belonged to the rap group NWA. And they were the ones arguably giving credit to destroying hip hop and giving birth to commercial rap, right? Insiders did this, right? People who belong to the culture destroyed the rap culture, hip hop culture. But again, since when do small details like that matter for people who just want to be outraged, outraged at the death of culture? So <clears throat> culture dies slowly. Every town has something like a Long's Bakery. All right, especially back in the 1950s. I mean, what were they making in your town? Donuts, pizza, ribs. In my town, Warren, Ohio, where I grew up, everyone knew that Eli's had the best ribs. Carmen's made the best pizza, right? Those places had a culture, and everyone wanted what they had. And then what happened? Well, we don't know. All we know is that one day their food, their ribs, their pizza, it didn't taste the same anymore. Something was a little bit different about the sauce. It was off. And then we learned that the parents had died, right? Or something. And the kids took over. Or they sold the bakery, right? The culture didn't change. The culture died. It became a zombie culture. Zombie because it still had the outer appearances. It was still Carmen's. It was still Eli's on the outside. But it was no longer life within. It was dead. The same with hip-hop music, which was alive. It was conscious. Hip-hop back in the 80s was what we call woke, the original woke. It was thinking, it was living, it was breathing, and then it went commercial. Something they were calling rap music. And those of us who lived through that transition knew something was different. We could hear it. We went from music that made us think to music that made us want to drink. (laughs) And uh, they wanted music that wanted us to make us figure out what guns did, right? The music went from music videos went from images of the culture to images of women wearing nothing. But then the music industry, which wanted to keep taking our money, they kept telling us that that's the culture. This is the culture we're giving you. But the culture they were selling us was dead. And to this day, you still have this zombie rap music, rapping about drugs, sex, guns, violence, and celebrating the culture death. It's zombie rap. Slowly, the Catholic culture is becoming this zombie Catholicism. It looks alive on the outside, barely, but on the inside, it's completely dead. No one truly believes, no one truly believes that the Holy Eucharist is the real presence of Christ Jesus, which gives eternal life, right? I mean, you have, well, I don't say no one, but you have like, according to polls, you have about maybe 70% of people who doesn't even believe this, the most central truth about the Catholic faith? So no one takes the sacrament seriously. No one is going to confession, right? Confession lines are, 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 are the bare minimum, two or three people. And a confession, sacrament of reconciliation, gives life to the soul. Few people want to become priests and religious. And the heterosexual and healthy men who do want to become priests are being kicked out of seminary if they're even being let in. 
there are more bishops mandating that their flock take an abortion tainted and tested toxin than there then there are mandating then they are mandating the Sunday obligation for mass. Imagine that. You gotta take this toxin. Mass is your choice. <laughs> what, what, what world is this? Not one priest or bishop has walked into an ICU unit with people on respirators and touched the sick to heal them of the virus. The most excellent tradition of passing down the faith, the traditional Latin rite, is being suppressed throughout the world. A rite that celebrates culture and language and tradition in the patriarchy is being suppressed. Culture can die overnight in a case of restaurants, but the cultural, uh, the culture of a family dies slowly through, inter through internal sabotage and letting outsiders and heretics of the culture come in and spit on the culture. It's never the norm in the zombie movies that zombies become human again. Once they're dead, they're dead. That's the norm. And, and, and there's no thing we can do to restore Catholic culture. There's no magic pill. But I will say that if you have a healthy Catholic culture where you're at, you need to do everything you can to protect it. Protect that small place that you have and do everything to spread what you guys have. The apocalypse of zombie Catholicism is fast approaching because zombie bishops are in charge everywhere. And it's not like this zombie Catholicism is like an episode of the walking dead where you can just go walk around and chop off their heads. Like, you know, Christ is the head of the church. You know, we're not chopping anybody's head off, but the only thing that we need to do is protect what we have been given. What we've been handed down and spread that the zombies will continue to march on us and make things difficult for us. But life always wins over death. And that's all I know about that. This is the David L. Gray show voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe radio network, which is radio for your soul. Right after the break, Kevin Pilon will be on it's finance Wednesdays and he'll be on answering your questions about finance from a Catholic perspective. Keeping you informed and inspired. Hi, Joe McLean here, host of the Catholic Drive Time. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. News and information, Catholic conversation, inspiration, fun, and prizes are involved. Log on to our website to get all the details, to find all the information, the podcast, the videos, and so much more. GRNonline.com. That's GRNonline.com forward slash CDT. God love you. Looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium? Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the University of Dallas offers an exceptional liberal arts education, preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. 
Hi, this is Len Oswald, president of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Did you know that there are eight different ways that you can enjoy your GRN programming? First, on your local GRN station. Second, streaming on the grnonline.com website. Number three, on the Guadalupe Radio Network app using your smartphone. Number four, through podcasts of GRN Alive and other local GRN shows. Just search for Guadalupe Radio Network on your favorite podcast app or listen through the GRN app. Fifth, Watch the live video feeds of GRN shows on the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash GRN online. Number six, on Amazon Echo, just say Alexa Play and then say the call letters of your local GRN station. Number seven, you can also ask a Google device to stream your local GRN station. And finally, eight, you can also use TuneIn on your computer or smartphone to stream your local GRN station. We are your Catholic radio station. Radio for your soul. Welcome back in to the David L. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. Super excited. It's Finance Wednesday. So my good friend Kevin uh, Pilon is here. He's a financial advisor at Thrivent, faithful Catholic, family man. And, you know, we have a link to what he's um, you could connect with him online, um, his his um, business page. So please reach out to Kevin. You have something specific that you want to act, um, ask. And uh, he's a really good person to talk to about these things. And he's a, a super professional, super Catholic. Welcome back on to the David L. Gray Show, Kevin. Yeah, it's good to be back. Have you had a good summer, my friend? Well, I know you were during vacation. I know you you and the family guys were out and about. I think we took a couple of vacations down. I think we went down to New Orleans and I think we did something else. So yeah, it's been a it's been a good summer. Yeah, we did. We uh, went out west. I got to see the Grand Tetons for the first time, and uh, it was wow. special. Yeah, it was It was really just pretty cool to be out there in western Wyoming and then eastern Idaho as well. Um, we went to this little Catholic church on just the west side of the mountain pass that, David, it was just on fire. Man, they were just on fire with the Holy Spirit. It just, it, I, I can't explain it. It was so wow amazing what's going on in eastern and northeastern idaho and the catholic community is really cool if anybody here is listening from that region keep it up yeah that's a really great story here i love hearing those stories because you hear so much bad news about some of these um city dioceses and but you get to some of these and even in those cities you get some some smaller parishes and you get outside the cities to, to some other parishes and you see people are just alive with their faith so man that, that that is that is so good to hear and i don't know how you went out west and got a deeper tan i think that's 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 pretty fascinating <laughs> that's right soaked it up <laughs> so good so yeah it is good to be back on this finance wednesday and uh um, here to, I saw you had some questions come in from listeners and really we'll take it in the yeah. direction that you want to take it today, sir. Um, I will say a disclaimer for all those of you who are listening. So, um, there are a lot of different, uh, descriptions that people have for what I do. Um, some people, you know, say financial advisor, financial planner, um, specifically, uh, my expertise is in the areas of retirement income planning, 
estate planning and investment advice. That's where my focus is. Um, there's a lot that falls under that umbrella. And uh, some people like to know up front, Kevin, are you a fiduciary? Yes, I am a fiduciary. Um, if you're wondering what that term oh, wait, means, that's, that's, that's a lot of syllables. Yeah. Yeah. Fiduciary. <laughs> F-I-D-U-C-I-A-R-Y. <laughs> um, yeah, that's something that's we can, uh, you can, you can look it up in a quick Google search. What is a fiduciary? Um, I am one of those. And that was why I got into financial planning was, mm. as you said, um, to help Catholic couples um, enact financial plans that are in line with their faith and family goals. That's it at the end of the day. So that's what I do. Yeah, that's a wonderful mission. We're glad to have you in that field. And I want to talk to you later. I didn't have this on the list of questions, but um, Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. Um, next month, we'll be having a spring drive, a fundraiser. And so I want to talk about, um, before we get off, I want to talk about how do people um, um, make donations in their in their wills or how do they gift ministries like Guadalupe Radio Network? How do they how do they do that when they're mm -hmm. doing their end of life planning? Is that cool? Yeah, you want to touch on that a little bit here? Oh yeah, let's go for it. That would be great. So um, it breaks down really into three main categories. There's three ways we can give. Um, we work from the first principle that everything we have is a gift from God. So all of our finances, our money, it's just a tool. The money is not the goal. The goal is bringing everything back to God and our families and our church. That's the goal. So money being the tool, that principle brings us to three ways we can give. We can give now. So that's the unplanned giving. That's you're listening to Guadalupe Radio Network, you get inspired by the fall drive in September, and you call and you say, I'm going to make a donation of $100. I'm going to make a donation of $1,000. It's not something you knew you were going to do at the beginning of the year, but it's, it's giving now. It's unplanned giving. Um, it might also be the monthly giving or weekly giving that you're doing in the collection plate at church or with a specific nonprofit or charitable cause that you have at, uh, close to your heart. Um, that's the give now. That's the first way. The second way are ways we, that we can give later. So this is where some strategy can come in. This is where a lot of people um, veer off in two directions, maximizing that which they give or giving a lot in taxes. So when we are giving later, we're talking about things like giving money out of IRAs or 401ks. We're talking about giving money... Um, that we have that's in another financial tool, like maybe it's in life insurance, maybe it's stock that we inherited, maybe it's property that we've had for a long time, maybe it's mutual funds. So there's all these different ways that we can strategize around giving later. The reason that we strategize is because what we want to achieve is the biggest impact, impact lowest tax. Biggest impact, lowest tax. If more goes to the cause that I'm passionate about and less goes to Uncle Sam, that's a win. Uncle Sam, the IRS, the politicians, however you want to phrase it, they are happy to let us use rules that exist to maximize our giving and minimize our taxes. They're also happy when people don't know about it and people give less than they could and pay more in taxes than they could. The IRS will never tell you. 
they will never stop you from paying more in taxes than you need. And they'll just keep it. <laughs> they they so, won't. They won't, they won't send you a letter or call you like, hey, hey, guy, well, you're paying too well, much in taxes. We need to do something about this. You need to go see Kevin. <laughs> yep. Yep. And now I'll briefly just touch on the last way, David, and that's what I call give and receive. So this is what we call like the big ticket giving or the planned giving. Um, an example, just to spur some people, uh, you have uh, your farm or your ranch that you're getting ready to retire and your kids don't want to work it when, when you're retired. So the plan is to sell off all the ranch or sell off all the equipment or sell off all the grain or sell off all the cattle. Um, there are ways to structure giving where you both create that which you can receive for the rest of your life and leave huge impact on nonprofits and your family and everybody can win. So the give and receive is, um, is a very broad and large category that often involves what we do when we retire or after we're retired with that which God has given us. And there's a lot of powerful planning that exists out there. I imagine David that in September, um, the radio network will touch on some of these ways to give where it gets tough for people is how? How do I do that? They're talking yeah. about this gift of mutual funds. They're talking about a gift of a charitable annuity. They're talking about these different ways you can give, and they all sound really fancy. And at the end of the day, they're mostly straightforward. It's just about understanding what to do and what not to do and getting it right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That sounds good. Yeah, thanks for that. Appreciate that. Um, as far as, um, I guess we get, you know, we have a lot of questions from listeners and we're speaking with Kevin Pilon, who's a financial advisor, financial planner, Thrivent. Um, his content information is in the description box. If you have a question you want to ask as part in, you know, come to the show, ask a question, you know, number is 877-757-9424. That's 877-757-9424. Or you can post your question in one of our live streams on Facebook, YouTube, the Twitter. Um, Brad's mom, who's, you know, she's a faithful listener. Um, she says, good to see you again, Kevin. <laughs> Brad's mom. I remember Brad's mom. <laughs> yeah. She had some great things to say. I think it was two months ago. Maybe it was three already. Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Where, so we got a few, a lot of questions here. Did you, is there one in particular that you wanted to hit first? You want to go cryptocurrency? You want to go gap insurance and car warranties? Um, we got usury, the center usury is how much debt is moral. We got a lot of great questions here and that's a tease for you guys to keep listening. So that's, that's, that's the questions that came in before the show. Where do you want to go, Kevin? Well, you know, David, it is your show. And if we don't have time to get to all the questions, we should kind of go in the order of which, uh, of those interests you the most. Those are all great topics. And, um, those might even spur more questions as we start talking about them one by one. So how about you pick the first one out of those? I get a lot of questions. I never did a, 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 a live stream myself or anything on my YouTube channel about this topic. I'm engaged in it. I'm involved in it. Interesting, interested to hear what you think about it. And it's the question of cryptocurrency. So cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. you guys may have heard about this with the Bitcoins, the, the um, Doji coins. It's been a big thing this year. Um, and so is it, what do you think, Kevin? Is it from a Kappa perspective, is there a moral component to this? And also just from a financial perspective, as being a Catholic as well, is it a good 
investment, short-term, long-term. I'm glad you broke it down in those two ways because that seems to be a good way of, of breaking it down for me. So from a Catholic perspective, I've thought a lot about this. I've had a lot of conversations about it. I'm very familiar with cryptocurrency um, on many levels. But what I would... Uh, what I would say is it would be hard to come from a position of morally problematic of a morally problematic nature to cryptocurrency in and of itself. Hmm. Um, based on the fact that anything really can be used as a currency. You can, you can be in a bartering society where whatever item you want can be used as a currency. So Currency is just a way to either transfer goods from one person to another or transfer value or give an assigned value to things. Um, it's very useful for our economy. So that being said, cryptocurrency, I think on its own, it's neutral because all it is is a form of electronic currency. And we won't really get into the details of how, it's, how it works on this show. We won't have time for that. Um, but it is only as valuable now moving over to the finance side. So from a Catholic side, uh, unless uh, something changes drastically, I can't see uh, a, a moral red flag with it because nobody is exploited in its creation. Um, there's no like Catholic social teaching red flags that come up in my mind when looking into it. Yeah. Um, sliding over into the financial side, we need to think of cryptocurrency like we think of other currencies if we're using it. So its value is only in as much as its ability to buy me something that I need. So okay. a currency, um, if I have the, um, the Korean won here in front of me, and I want to go down to my grocery store and buy some bread and milk, that currency is no good to me. I have to exchange it right now for US dollars. So right. some cryptocurrencies can be right now used at certain establishments. It's not widespread use. Most of the time, you're still having to convert it into U.S. dollars to buy something, but there are places that will take it. So insofar as that happens, it has a value as a currency. Insofar that I can exchange it for the currency that's widely used in our country, the U.S. dollar, it has a value. Unlike the currency of our nation, which has government backing it and government behind it, mm. it is, it's, has no government regulatory authority around it currently. They're trying to, but it's very difficult to do with yeah. something like crypto. In that regard, it is extremely volatile. So let's say I have 10,000 US dollars and I buy that amount worth of cryptocurrency. Tomorrow, I mean, this really happened. Tomorrow, I could have $100 or I could have $100,000. I mean, it goes so wild and it hasn't done that so much lately, but a couple of years ago, it was doing that daily. It was just swinging really, really high and swinging really, really low. And as a currency, so its ability to buy me the things that I need is different, very different day to day. So I would caution uh, people from that standpoint um, as people who are saving money or if you're investing money, if you are using some of your funds to buy cryptocurrency, um, I would issue a caution right out of the gate in regards to its volatility risk, which is only one kind of risk. 
right? There are other risks too. There's inflation risk, there's tax risk, there's all risks that exist in the world. But when it comes to crypto specifically, volatility risk is very much there as far as what can it buy me today versus what it can buy me tomorrow. Mm. Again, it's just mm -hmm. a tool. So nothing wrong with it. Um, you know, this is not the show for me to be a proponent or against uh, cryptocurrency. I think it involves more detailed conversations and people going into it with a full head of steam. Exactly. Exactly. I like that. You made, you made a good dis a distinction between as a short term investment, very volatile, right? You're not going to put money in there that you need, obviously, because um, <laughs> it's, it's very risky. Long term, you know, if you look at cryptocurrency from you know 2010 2015 to today the trajectory is just always up no matter which one it is for the most part it's just it's just an upward trajectory in the short term it's up and down up and down so i'm definitely interested to keep following it wish i had put money in it back in 2005 <laughs> <laughs> yeah amen to that brother yeah like many other investments um you know it's right. interesting <laughs> I have this fun chart that I use often with clients and it's our financial markets from 1925 until now. So from before the great depression until now, and it shows various investment classes. It shows us stocks, foreign stocks, bonds, mixed assets, shows all these different things. And you brought up a really good point is that when you look at um, our market overall, and you look at it from a really far bird's eye view, it looks a lot like a staircase going up. If you look at it, not in the aggregate, but if you look at it in a week or in a month or in a two or three year time frame, it looks much more like a lot of down steps mixed in with the up steps. But our market has yeah. always behaved in the same way, even with the Great Depression. It's a market that has up steps, it has down steps. So far in 96 years, the up steps have been longer and bigger than the down steps. Um, that is not a projection of the future. That's just what has happened. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the caveat. That's not a projection of the future. This is how it's behaved historically, right? <laughs> that's a great mm -hmm. point. So we're speaking yeah. with uh, Mr. Kevin Pila. He's a financial advisor, financial planner. He goes by both of those titles. Um, he is what you would like him to be, obviously. <laughs> but he works with Thrivent. <laughs> yeah. And, um, <laughs> but, um, and so you could definitely contact him online. Just you could even just Google him, um, Kevin P I L O N. And so you can find him there. Ask him some more specific questions. Um, definitely recommend if you don't have a financial planner and you're looking for a good Catholic one, Kevin is, is where you want to be. One thing that people do often. Oh, if you have any specific questions, we're just working through some questions you guys submitted online prior to the show. But if you have a, a specific question, we can definitely fit it in. Just call in the eight seven seven. 757-9424. That's 877-757-9424. This is David O. Gracia, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network. One thing that people do more often than cryptocurrency is buy cars, right? Um, mm -hmm. This year, last couple years especially, the car market, even the used car market, has been booming. There's shortages of cars, both you new and used today. So it's something that people are doing quite often the market is always changing depending upon who the president is i think we're going in a direction of more energy efficient cars perhaps electric down the road so there's always this 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 movement in the auto market uh when you're at the car dealer and you decided upon what car to buy 
Um, and now if depending upon where you're at, um, you may go into a little office with a guy who calls himself a, um, a finance manager and he's there to manage your finances. <laughs> and yeah. one, one thing he's, one, one thing he's trying to manage your finances with is trying to blow your payment up a little bit, Kevin. He wants to, he wants to sell you some, some add-ons with the, with the, with a car dealer calls the back end. These things, things, uh, things such as gap insurance, um, your tire and wheel, your your extended warranty, all these other things that can increase your payment, auto payment by like 100, 200 bucks. Should people invest in any of those things? I mean, because we hear that uh, we hear that buying a car is a bad investment. We hear that oftentimes. I would argue, you know, it depends upon what car it is, you know, and how old it is. Could be a classic pretty soon. Who knows what? But we hear that. That was a bad investment. Are you are you like even making the bad investment worse by with these add-ins, Kevin? Well, before I show my cards, David, allow me to ask you a personal question. Are you a new car guy or by used car guy? Oh, definitely used. Off a of lease, preferably. So like a car that was a lease, now it's uh, turned back in and that's the car you want. It's three years old, something like that. If I'm going to get a newer age car, it's definitely two years old. Yeah, probably off a lease. Okay, okay. Yeah, I wanted to ask you that because I don't know where you fall on this because you, you're about to hear a lot of my opinion here. And um, <laughs> Let's go. It, you're you're going to get my opinion here because it's a charged topic and because um, we go into car purchasing situations, many of us, not, not we, but many people go into car purchasing situations not understanding what the game is and if you don't know the rules of the game how can you win if you don't know the rules of any game you will lose the game you know unless you somehow get lucky but car dealerships are not interested in luck um what they know what they know is that 58 percent of their car sales are new car sales but only 26 percent of their revenue comes from selling those new cars so it's flipped. So they're selling more than half of their inventory. Uh, they're selling new cars. Uh, this is most dealerships, you know, unless it's specifically a used car dealership. But only 26% of their gross revenue is coming from that. So this creates an issue. How do they increase their profit margins? Well, it's very, very difficult to increase profit margin on a new car because you, as the consumer, at least can look up on your phone, what are cars, what's the MSRP around the country for this brand new Subaru, whatever. And that's not a Subaru endorsement. That's just what I thought of. You can look <laughs> up the comparison of a car price really quickly. Where they make their money is on the add-ons. Where they make their money is on how much more they're going to sell your trade-in for than what they're going to tell you they're going to give it. They're going to you know take for it. Where they're going to make their money is in the gap insurance. It's in the finance department, that finance expert, that finance specialist. Um, <laughs> if if I said the things that I said to people with my licensing, I would get delicensed if I were a car salesman because they uh, <laughs> finance specialist would be not really an accurate title. Now there are really well, morally upright and good uh, people in the finance departments of car dealerships, and you might be listening. So I'm not going to throw all of you under the bus, but what I will say is as a business model, there are some problematic things going on with the after 
the salesman sells you the car, you go into the back office. Now here's all the add-ons. Um, their profit margins are made off of all those insurances, the gap insurance, the tire insurance, the, the hub insurance, the whatever insurance you want, the service package, <laughs> their service department is, is one of their biggest profit making areas of the dealership is their service department. So people that get these service packages, yeah. I'm not saying that any of that is wrong. What I'm saying is if you need any one of those things, then get it. But back up a step and determine if that's what you need. Do you need gap insurance? And if so, why? Why do you need it? These are important questions to ask at the beginning. Uh, do you need uh, the wheel insurance? Do you feel a need for the service package? If you are experiencing these thoughts of, I need this, or this is really important to me for X, Y, and Z, then you can be more informed with the questions that you ask before you go in. Because once you're in the car buying experience, it's too late to determine what's right for you. You have to go in mm. at the beginning of the appointment, when you're looking for a car, when you buy the car, knowing what is important to you and knowing what isn't important to you. So I have a, those conversations a lot and um, you know, some, it, it's very different for everybody in their own specific situation, David. But what I would say is that, um, you know, we should try to inform ourselves more in that area, especially of buying cars. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That, that, that's a good point. And, and, I, and I will disclose a long time ago, um, sometime in the last decade, I was a finance manager at a Cadillac and a Chevy dealership. And I don't. Is that why you kept laughing? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, you know, it, it's, it's one of those jobs. It's really hard to be a Christian. I mean, to, to live ethically and to live ethically as a Christian means you make a lot less money than have the financial man, finance manager in the other office. And um, so it, it, it's it's. But one thing I didn't realize, though, is that until I became a finance manager, I didn't know that everything in his office or her office is negotiable. Um, the interest rate you pay, the um, the price of the gap insurance, the, the price of the service plan, the tire and wheel, the price that they offer you is not actually the price. You think there's like, is, is are, are Christians, should Christians feel Catholic Christians or Christians and Protestants, whatever, should we feel bad about negotiating? Like, there's just some sort of guilt that we shouldn't feel because we're trying to do better with our, our money, Kevin? Absolutely not. I think it's our responsibility. I, I think it's our responsibility to make wise money decisions. Jesus commands it of us. And if we don't even know what we don't know, then it's time to start learning and figuring out what don't I know and start to figure out how to navigate that financial world. Um, because, you know, you can negotiate your trading value. You can negotiate the sale price of the car. You nego can negotiate the random taxes they throw on at the end. You can negotiate the interest rate because they want you to keep it in house and they're going to give you an interest rate typically higher than the credit union or the bank because yeah. uh, they're able to do that because you're keeping it in house. Uh, you can negotiate your monthly payment. You can negotiate the payment length. I mean, everything is negotiable. And um, I think most, I don't know, maybe some people are just, that's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to, to negotiate and you, you'd rather not go there and they've gotten you to, they got you to initial already. And so you don't want to try and negotiate anymore. You should probably 
sign since you already initialed. And, you know, there's all these little tricks that the finance departments at car dealerships will use to get you to commit um, on their terms more than on your terms. But they leave that wiggle room in there because there are people that are going to take full advantage of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And we're speaking with Kevin Pilon. He's a financial advisor planner at Thrivent. Uh, we posted some links to where you can find him in the description box, you know, in the live stream um, chat box. So make sure you reach out to Kevin. You just type in his name in Google. Um, Kevin Pilon is P-I-L-O-N. And we have about three, four minutes left. So if you do have a particular question you want to ask, you can still call in 877 877- Seven five seven nine four two four. That's eight seven 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 five seven nine four two four. But along that same line, about as you talk a lot about the responsibility Christians have with their gifts, like these are the gifts that God has given you. You have um, a fiduciary responsibility. <laughs> yes, <laughs> to, to man, to to um, you know, to to take care of the gifts God has given you, and 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 to grow them as well. And along that same line of the the, the car deal, um, so the buying a car means you have more debt, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to take a loan out, is there is there a certain amount of debt that a Christian shouldn't have? At what point it does it become like a moral issue? Oh man, you know, you, it's really tough because it crosses into um, moral theology where there are, there are no clear cut lines. You can't say $5,000 of debt is okay, but $10,000 isn't okay. Um, but there are principles and, and we can kind of operate within those guideposts. Um, for instance, um, if our debt would cause us to be paying for our debt with half or more of our income a month, then we've crossed over into a problematic territory. Um, and, you know, we're paying okay. a car loan, we're paying a student loan, we're paying credit card debt, we're paying a mortgage, and it's more than half of what we're bringing home a month. That, um, to me, that has crossed that hazy line uh, some time ago. Um, some okay. financial advisors use hard percentages, like 25% of your, of your debt. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, making sure that your home mortgage amount that you take out is not more than two times your gross income. Um, that's my rule, but that doesn't mean that if someone has a four or five times their income mortgage that they've committed some moral error or that they've you know, done something morally wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that, that's interesting. So, um, you, you, you tend to recommend, uh, to your clients, um, that they look at their income and their, in their debts in that way so that there's a percentage of income that they don't want to, um, assign towards debts. There's, there's a percentage of their income that they want, want to save or invest or what they want to, what do they want to do with that spendable income? What do they want to do with it? Yeah. So there's only, again, I'm, I'm all about threes, just like the Trinity. So there's three categories for what we can use our money for other than, you know, the debt, if we're paying off debt, it's going to be to spend it, to save it or to share it. And that's the only (laughs) thing we can do. That's it. We can either spend it for food, gas, whatever we need, clothes, 
we can share it. We, we give it back to God. We give it to the church. We give it to our friend, our family member, um, or we can save it. We can save it for a specific need or we can save it for the long term. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, the holy trinity of um, um, your bank account. <laughs> yes, that's right. Share it, spend it, save it. That's it. You know, my son has a little owl bank. My son has this little owl plastic bank on his dresser. And it actually has yeah. the three categories. That's why we liked it. There's three little tubs for share, save, and spend. And you can drop money in and pull money out from each one, depending on the need. Yeah. S, S, S. I love it. Well, thanks for coming on again, Kevin Pilon from, from Thrive It, man. Thanks for coming on for another Finance Wednesday and educating us on a gap, on a, the cryptocurrency and, and debt and um and, uh, um, our moral obligations, man. I really appreciate you having on again. Um, any, any final words how people can find you or whatever? Yeah, so if there are things that are stirring around, you have specific questions, you can reach out to me via email. If you search me on the web, you'll find me really easily, Kevin Pilon Thrivent. Um, T-H-R-I-V-E-N-T you can shoot me an email um, otherwise uh, I'll be on the show next month hopefully right Dave amen alright well thank you for tuning in and I'll be back same time next week same place and I look forward to conversing with you again in between time you can visit me at davidlgray.info but until then until next time remember that Jesus loves you and is there for you and live your life like salvation matters and may the abundance of our Lord's blessings and graces and favor fall upon you and yours. Thank you.